Today on Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution, a thought-provoking philosophical debate that tackles one of the reoccurring themes in conflict studies, love or fear, which motivates us more? Who are you in the world? Who do you want to be in the world? And what's preventing you from being the most loving presence in the world? Fear is two things. One, it's what moves you to action. But two, it's what helps explain behavior. Love creates spaces of safety. When you're loved, you can explore, you can create, you can find things and make things new. I have a fear that I'm going to be remembered for bad things or that I won't be remembered at all. And that fear drives almost everything that goes on in my life. Love or fear, which motivates us more? Highlights from the Great American Think-Off debate from New York Mills, Minnesota, today on Peace Talks Radio, a series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. This is Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. I'm series producer Paul Ingalls. Since 2002, when we started this broad look at the world of peacemaking in our own lives and between each other in communities and among nations, certain themes have recurred. The pursuit of love among them and dealing with fear another. In fact, both were part of the conversation in our very first show with meditation teacher Eric Kolbig. Franklin Roosevelt, when he first became president, his very first words to this country are the ones that are most memorable. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. This was in the middle of the Great Depression. A lot of people were suffering. In order to get past fear, to work our way through fear, we have to engage it directly to see what it is. Fear is always about something in the future. It's never about something that's happening in the moment. The future doesn't exist. Fear is a projection of something that may or may not happen. And when you see that, if you can see you're simply projecting something into the future, you don't have to believe it. (laughs) You can say, I don't need to believe this. And to come back to whatever your present situation, no matter how challenging it is, by reducing the fear, your present situation is much more workable. So we're basically making it up. We're making up these thoughts about it, but are we making up the body's response? I think the body follows the mind, actually. Not always. You know, if you have, uh, if you have a, uh, a rattlesnake coiled right in front of you, the body will respond and the mind will respond, and that's a kind of useful fear to protect ourselves. But to, to distinguish between a reasonable kind of fear where, we're, where we need to back off from a charging bull uh, and, and the kind of fear where we're projecting a kind of future that doesn't exist. In, in this culture, our concept of love is pretty devalued. This is not about hallmark. It's not about sentimentality. It's really about a great power. Mohandas Gandhi said that, that if one, just one person developed love, the highest form of love, uh, that love could neutralize the hate of millions. It's that powerful. Um, and we could use, actually, with our present global situation, we could use a few thousand Gandhis right now. Thoughts on fear and love from our first ever guest on Peace Talks Radio, meditation teacher Eric Kolvig. How we deal with fear and love has also been at the heart of the stories of many others that we've told in our Peace Talks Radio series. Stories of Gandhi, King, Chavez, Mandela, the Dalai Lama, and many others. 
So you could probably understand why a certain event caught our attention that we wanted to share with you on today's episode. Each year for over two decades now, the people of New York Mills, Minnesota, have played host to something called the Great American Think-Off. They come up with a core philosophical question and invite essays on both sides of the topic. They wind up inviting four essay finalists to come together in Minnesota to debate the sides of the issue before an audience, who narrows the field to two in a vote, and then chooses a winner who they think made the most compelling case. In 2014, the question was, love or fear, which motivates us more? Before we all give it a listen, as in life, I think the journey is more interesting and important than the destination. That is to say, who is declared the winner, to me, is not as important as the ideas that are brought to the table on the way to the conclusion. The audience vote on the debaters is really just a framework for the discussion. Here now, the finals of the Great American Think-Off. I am, I am nervous. Yes, I'm nervous. <laughs> I think there's some hesitation just not knowing what to expect. But that's not a bad thing. Your votes will determine America's greatest thinker. The Great American Think-Off is a philosophy contest meant for the armchair philosopher. So it's a think-off like a bake-off almost, and it's kind of a down-home, small-town, kind of earthy notion that's not some ivory tower idea of philosophical inquiry. My name is Jamie Robertson. I've worked at the Cultural Center for seven years now, and I'm the executive director. I'm Alice Martin. I've been involved with the Cultural Center virtually since its beginning. The Great American Think-Off is a philosophy contest in New York Mills, Minnesota. In West Central Minnesota, in a town that is only 1,200 people. New York Mills feels like, uh, kind of like the 4th of July. I'm not quite sure why that is. I'm John Forty. I'm the moderator, or perhaps the accelerator, of the Great American Think-Off. For me, one of the things it does is remembers community public discussions that small towns had for many, many decades here in Minnesota and the upper Midwest. I think... Almost everybody is a philosopher in some sense, the farmer in his tractor, uh, the fisherman in his boat, the person sitting at a desk doing accounting. Everybody has those thoughts about the big issues in life. So we're all philosophers at some level. It's a, it's a philosophy contest for the masses. It's not designed to be a debate between professional philosophers. We try and ask questions that are relevant to people. This year's question is love or fear, which motivates us more. And people write essays from their experience. The essays come from every state in the union. And sometimes even international entries. The most we ever received was just short of 800. The Southeast seems to produce a great many essays, but so does the Northeast. Fewer from the West Coast, it seems. And the Midwest, of course, is the basis of it all. We have people of all ages. We've had people well into their 80s writing essays. We've had high school kids writing essays. So the age range is huge. And uh, when all of the essays are submitted, then the committee meets to debate which one, which essays seem to really grapple with the question most effectively. And four finalists are selected for an actual debate. Welcome to the 22nd Annual Great American Think-Off, a production of the New York Mills Cultural Center. Your votes will determine America's greatest thinker. This year's question is, love or fear, which motivates us more? 
Uh, a short description of our format. There will be three rounds. In the first round, our two thinkers who argue that love motivates us more will face off for the right to go to the final round. In the second round, our two thinkers who argue fear is a more powerful motivator will face off. After a short intermission, we will have the third round between the finalists you have chosen. Now to introduce our thinkers in round one, arguing that love motivates us more than fear, please welcome to the stage Therese Helker and Jennifer Nelson. So Jennifer Nelson will read her essay. All right, thank you for everyone for being here tonight. Um, just before I get started, and, and then I'll just launch right in my argument why I believe that love is a better motivator. I couldn't believe I didn't even realize I was bleeding. Adrenaline is a surprisingly strong force. As I shakily stumbled away from my demolished vehicle, I had no idea I was even injured, let alone that my injuries would be permanent. Given my firsthand experience with this powerful force, one might expect that I would easily argue in defense of the motivation of fear. However, as the years passed, and I adjusted to my, my name is Jennifer Nelson, and I am arguing for the motivational power of love. It's a question that just really resonated with me and that fit very well with my own personal experience, and that was uh, something that made me really want to get involved. I think it's very valuable, and especially in this day and age, to have venues where we see people arguing uh, these large issues, uh, these complex issues that kind of underlie everyone's existence, but arguing them in such a way that's civil and just having a forum where it shows that people can have disagreements and we can work through them and we can look at things from different sides, especially in this day and age where it's not uncommon for people to just rely on the internet and read only the news sources that already agree with them and only friend people on Facebook that already agree with them and only talk to people who have the same positions. It's always good to have public forums that bring all sides of an issue together. When I look at my essay, I think that a key part is this sentence here about, let me see here. Given my firsthand experience with this powerful force, one might expect that I would easily argue in defense of the motivation of fear. However, as the years passed and I adjusted to my new normal, I came to learn that fear is not a motivating force, though it may masquerade itself as such in the short term. In its immediate context, fear can be protective, triggering a fight-or-flight response that ensures your survival. However, once danger has passed, the fear that remains is no longer protective, let alone motivational. Rather, it becomes paralyzing and destructive. This thing that helped assure your survival, when it lingers, cuts you off from the very joys of life that you survive for. My position is really grounded in my own experience of post-trauma recovery following a severe car accident about a decade ago and how that experience really taught me that when fear lingers in the long term, it becomes paralyzing and actually kills your motivation and how it's only the love and support of those around you that provide you a pathway out of that fear and get you motivated to get back into life and doing the things that you once enjoyed. Thank you, Jennifer. Ladies and gentlemen, Therese Helker. In his prime, my father was a terrifying presence. He commanded obedience. He let his seven children know that from the time they could think for themselves, with him as our father, there would be no need. Obedience was all that was required, and every act of disobedience was met with violence. His role in our lives was so omnipotent that at age seven, My name is Therese Helker, and I am arguing for love. 
I was not familiar with the Great American Think Off at all. <laughs> so when I got the news that I was a finalist, uh, it was quite shocking to know that there was a debate attached to it. Uh, I'm very, very excited about it, though. I'm really interested in the subject, have a lot of passion for the subject, and so I'm excited to speak about it as well as write about it. For me, the value of the Great American Think Off is the conversation. These are things that people think about. So to have a national kind of, you know, think off where you have a, an essay writing contest and you get these ideas in writing and then you ask people to come together and talk or debate their different points of view is wonderful. It's an honoring of what we all grapple with in this life. I think my most effective sentence, the one that I gravitate toward in my essay, is just as soon as we claim that love can motivate us to stop living in fear, we can also claim the opposite is equally true. Yet I will always prefer the way love motivates. So for me, my argument, my basic premise is that love and fear are both motivating. I've seen people make some incredible changes in their life because they're afraid. But why are they afraid? What's causing the fear? Love of life. That's what's causing the fear. Fear points in a direction. I think it points to the places that we love, that points to the places that we want to be. So it's useful. It's helpful. It can be motivating. But to me, it's not as powerful as love. Love is the ultimate goal, love of life, love of relationship, love of the other, love of wanting to make this life make sense, love of engagement in this life. That's what fear might point to. But ultimately, what motivates me to overcome fear is love. Thank you, Therese. We will now have two questions for each of you, and you will each have two minutes for your answer, and Pam will make the sound of what it's going to sound like when your two minutes are up. Startling, anyone? Okay, all right. Jennifer, the first question is for you. You'll have two minutes. You offer an airtight case that for you personally, love is more powerful than fear. But what argument would you make that this is true generally? Generally, I would make the same argument because I've learned over the years, um, as I've shared my story, which is part of my essay, uh, I've learned that when you share your story, people start sharing their story with you as well. You create a safe space to hear people's experience. And when people find out I've been through something so traumatic uh, and I've experienced the things that I've experienced, I can't tell you how many people have felt the need to come confide in me that they've been anxious or they've been fearful or they haven't known how to face the day. And I'm just astounded at the crippling impact fear can have when it consumes people and how shamed people feel when they come to shyly admit this. And how once they know that someone has been in the same situation and that someone isn't judging them for being in that situation, that someone doesn't think they should be shamed, that someone still loves them and appreciates them in spite of their struggles, that that is more of a motivation to get them moving forward than any other argument to simply tell them not to be afraid or to not be anxious or to not worry. And I've seen that firsthand with so many people that I just can't imagine it's not true for more. Therese, the next question is for you. 
You conclude your essay by noting that you prefer love, but it seems like your narrative ends in giving equal weight to both love and fear as a tool of motivation. How can you say love motivates more? That's a good question, and I took a risk in my essay by uplifting both, but I do believe that there's a difference in how they motivate. For me, fear can be crippling. Fear can hold us back, but we also need to listen to fear. When I feel fear, it's because something I love is being threatened. So fear can be a teacher. Fear can point me in a direction. Fear can invite me to take care of it so that I can move beyond it. So for me, I prefer what I view as the most powerful motivator on the planet, which is love. I prefer how it motivates. But I'm not gonna deny that fear sometimes does take over and sometimes does motivate us to action. I can't deny that. I'd be denying a basic human experience. We do have moments in our lives where fear is in the driver's seat. I prefer to make sure it's not in the driver's seat. So I guess in answering that, yes, I have to acknowledge the power of fear as a motivator, but when it comes to the bigger picture, love will always motivate more and in a more lasting way, in a more expansive way. And I prefer that over the way fear motivates. Thank you. Uh, this is a good time to remind you that you'll be voting for either Jennifer or Therese to represent the argument that love is a better motivator than fear at the end of this round during the intermission, and this is the best time to get, in fact, it's just about the last possible moment to get your questions on cards and hand it into the ushers for our final round, and those questions can represent either side. So Jennifer, your second question, you say that fear is not a motivating force except in the short term, yet wasn't it the fear of fear itself that prompted you to escape the prison you had made for yourself? I can see where that question would come from, but I argue it was not fear. Um, I would say that what made me want to escape was realizing how much I missed the things that I loved. Because I think anyone who's been through an experience that fundamentally changes their life, that uh, especially physically, when you can no longer do things you used to do physically, when you have to consider, okay, can I ride a bike? How much, how steep is the grade? How long will I be able to last for? Okay, these people want to go to this park. Well, where will we be walking? What's the steepness of the trail? Things you never had to consider before. It's frustrating. And after a while, you realize that you don't want to be at home all the time. You don't want to be missing out on things and that even though you have to do them differently, you still want to be out doing the things that you loved. And it was my love for those activities that made me want to get back to a position where I could do them even if they had to be different. Therese, your final question. Therese, how would you persuade other people that love motivates more? I would persuade people by looking not necessarily at the kinds of things that we've described in our essays, myself included, the most painful of events, but our daily lives. What motivates you to get up in the morning? What motivates you to engage in your day? Is it fear or is it love? Is it connection? Is it meaning? How are you gonna spend your day? Are you gonna to look to things that make you afraid so that somehow you can overcome them and have a better life? Or are you going to wake up every morning and try to be the most loving person you can be, 
try to represent that face in the world, however that looks? Are you going to try to have your interactions at work or school or with your loved ones have meaning? Are you going to try to engage somebody that you don't necessarily know? Are you going to try to be open-minded when you feel a conflict? Are you going to be able to engage in a way that says, my motivation today is to be the most loving, engaged person that I know? That's the sustaining power of the motivation of love. We sometimes put these things on a grand scale, and I think sometimes we have to put them on a daily level. Who are you in the world? Who do you want to be in the world? And what's preventing you from being the most loving presence in the world? I am daily motivated to be that presence, and I don't do it perfectly. And sometimes I'm afraid. But I still wake up every morning, and that's what motivates me to get out of bed and to be in relationship with other people. It's the motivation of love. Therese, thank you. That concludes our questioning. We'll hear from the two essayists who say that fear is a greater motivator than love when we continue with more highlights from the Great American Think Off today on Peace Talks Radio. More in a moment. Today on Peace Talks Radio, you're listening to a special broadcast of the Great American Think-Off debate on the question, love or fear, which motivates us more? We'll hear from the two essayists who say that fear is a greater motivator than love from the New York Mills Cultural Center in Minnesota. There, John Forty is the moderator. Please welcome to the stage Jason Steck and Paul Terry. Paul, you're going first. To my fellow debaters, uh, you have nothing to fear from me. (laughs) I'm a lover, not a fighter. And note to self, I'm going to stay scared until this is over, because I can tell you guys are out to take me down, so. A power outage darkened our part of the city of Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, but my family felt safe enough to walk to a restaurant near our temporary flat. Returning home, I let us down. My name is Paul Terry, and I'll be debating on the side of fear. What motivates us more, love or fear? I'll say fear. I don't consider myself a debater. That was the first debate of my life last year. And it just seemed like a fun idea, although a bit nerve-wracking. So given I won it last year, I thought for sure I would quit while I was ahead, and I 
uh, vowed with my wife that uh, do not let me go back and do this again because it's just too uh, nerve-wracking. But then I uh, got in the email this time uh, the question for this year, and I thought it was quite interesting and provocative. So I, again, wrote an essay, again, not having any great expectation that I would be able to make it into the debate round. But here we go again. I'll be back up there debating the question of fear. When you ask about is there anything in particular in the essay that I would expand on or that I think is a, a real important distinction. I don't consider the Bible a philosophy document per se, but most people would, I think, agree that religion has a lot of overlap with philosophy, that they're grounded in many of the same morals and virtues and ethos that we think about when we think about philosophy. So there's one sentence that's certainly not intended as a throwaway sentence, and the sentence in the essay is, the capricious God of the Old Testament and most other deities play to fear and retribution in this life, and worse, for eternity. So it's obviously an allusion to heaven and hell, but the statistic I will commit to memory before the debate uh, relates to how often fear, the word fear, shows up in the Bible compared to the word love. As I said earlier, the gap between these issues is not all that large, but it really is weighted quite strongly towards fear. 900 sometimes the word fear shows up in the Bible, 600 sometimes the word love shows up in the Bible. So I do think as we move into this idea that uh, we have uh, heaven uh, to seek because of our love or hell to pay <laughs> because of our fear, I think fear has been a powerful motivator throughout the history of mankind. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Jason Steck. In 1933, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to reassure Americans plunging toward the Great Depression by telling them that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. We've been taught that fear is negative, that teaching is wrong. I live my life in fear. I fear unemployment, failure, and ruin. Hi, I'm Jason Steck, and I'm arguing that fear motivates more than love. I'm a contrarian. I like to challenge assumptions and take the difficult position. I like topics that give a good and a bad side, a presumptively good side, and then I like to take the presumptively bad side and show that the presumptively bad side isn't as bad as people assume it is. We're supposed to like love. We're supposed to like justice. We're supposed to like honesty. We're supposed to value honesty? No, we lie all the time and we lie for good purpose. We're supposed to value love more than fear? Not really. Just because it's got a negative reputation doesn't mean it's a negative thing. And I felt that it was a provocative in that way that I enjoy as a kind of a contrarian person. <laughs> I think the summary version of my argument is that we love things, but the fear of losing them is what motivates us. Fear isn't something to be feared, it's something to be embraced. Because when we identify something we fear, We've now identified what we can do to protect it, to protect what we think is threatened, or to build something that's better. And I think that leads to what the second important line, which is the concluding line, is that when evaluating which is the greater motivator, fear or love, the, the key word is the motivator. And so what we're looking at is what our response is. And we love things but the motivation of fear that comes from losing it causes us to respond in a particular way that can be positive or negative. It'll be powerful either way, 
but we can choose what our response is. Okay, as in the first round, we will have two questions for each of our thinkers. So Paul, you get the first question. You credit fear with prompting most action, including the action that saved your wife from theft or worse. Isn't it more likely that if fear had been the greatest motivator, you would have been paralyzed with inaction? Yeah, that's a great question because it gets to the definition of fear. You have to understand that fear is two things. One, it's what moves you to action. But two, it's what helps explain behavior. And what you'll see in terms of the uh, subtext of the question, you know, why was I jumping into the game compared to why wouldn't I have uh, been paralyzed? You could ar argue that, well, it was the love of your spouse, of course, uh, that uh, was really the motivator. And what I want to brace the audience for is that you're in for a debate that's going to be frustratingly what philosophers call tautological. And you know, all that means, uh, especially logic tautology, is that both things in a relatively circular argument, was it the fear that drove Paul or was it the love that drove Paul to move or in this case not become paralyzed? And both have to be true. So you have to move in mentally to what actually did trigger the action. That's why I love that as the first question because it didn't in this case trigger inaction. The second point though I'd make about this broad question about who gets frozen and who uh, reaches out relates to not what you might imagine will be the key word for this debate. You're all moving into more. I'd love you to move into the word us. To do this question justice, we can't be just thinking about what Paul did or what we in New York Mills, Minnesota would do. If we're really interested in answering the question about what motivates us more, we have to move into Serbia and Croatia and Think about the Hutus and the Tutsis and think about the Arabs and the Israelis. Not only that, in terms of taking a global perspective of what motivates all of us more to either freeze up or to take action, I don't think we should confine ourselves to the last few weeks of current events. I'll be eager to talk about those because fear is prevalent in this country and around the world. But I think we should broaden our thinking to the last 2,000 years and yes, Talk about the Old and the New Testament and what explains fear for Christians, but let's go beyond that and explain what mobilizes or immobilizes people if you're not the 30% who happen to be Christian. There's a different motivation for Hindus or Sikhs or Muslims. Jason, your first question, you have two minutes for it. You say that we've been taught that fear is negative, but that this teaching is wrong. You then go on to cite things you fear, unemployment, failure, ruin, dying alone, depression. So how is fear not negative? I was afraid you are gonna ask that. <laughs> the things I fear are negative things, but the fear that I experience is not negative. The reason is, is because by naming those things that I am afraid of and by reacting to the fear that they cause in me, I can then plan. I can then strategize. I can then build relationships, skills that allow me to prevent those things or get away from those things. Negative, negativity is all around us. Threats are everywhere. Um, one of the things I would disagree with from the last set of debaters is the idea that the danger can end. The dangers that we face in the world never end. There's dangers every day. We, we face the risk of bad weather and knocking out the power. We face the risk of 
an economic collapse. We face the risk of loss of relationships. So we're always facing dangers. We're always facing our fears. But what is positive about that is by naming those fears, by recognizing them as fears, we can then react positively and we can build the things in our lives that we love. Okay, that's one question for each of you. We're halfway through the questioning session, so I will remind our audience that you'll be asked to vote at the end of this round after one more question each. Please uh, listen now and write later. And we'll begin with the second question for Paul Terry. Paul, arguing on the side of fear, you say that high-performance athletes know about pushing boundaries, and it is fear that drives them to excel. Fear is generally thought to keep us from taking risks. Isn't the athlete's motivation actually love of competition, public acclaim, and bragging rights? Of what is the athlete fearful? Yeah, that's a great question. Ask that of LeBron James tonight. If you're following the Heat, the Heat was in for a three-peat, right? I mean, this was uh, the opportunity for the best team, ostensibly in the country, to really show their stuff. Ask them what is motivating them going into uh, the next game. If they say, we just love this sport, they're, they're absolutely not being true to what athletes think about. Their overriding motivation right now is fear. And to pick up on John's point, they fear not saving face. They fear being ridiculed. They've been booed in their own arena for getting so far behind already. I can tell you as uh, someone who is an athlete, it is axiomatic that we love to win, but we hate losing even more. Ask it of the Canadian hockey team this year. The women's hockey team, their arch rival uh, Canada against the US, uh, the Canadians were not favored, the US was equally favored. There was gonna be a close call, they had traded off beating each other for many years. Look at the podium when our women hockey players this year won the silver medal in the Olympics. What was their emotion? They were devastated. They had just won a silver medal, one of the highest honors in the land. They were devastated because what they were motivated by was the gold. They knew they could beat Canada. They were expected to beat Canada. Their worst fear was losing to Canada and their worst fear was realized. And they were uh, showing it for weeks that followed. Our final question is for you, Jason. The way you use the word fear seems to conflate all human needs, for example, safety, employment, and freedom, into the one emotion of avoidance. Couldn't all human motivations be crammed into the box called fear of not meeting one's needs? Well, certainly fear of not meeting one's basic needs. I think that Paul's point in his essay about the hierarchy of needs, Maslow's hierarchy, that you need to have your basic needs met is correct. You, you need to have the basics before you can pursue self-actualization. But I think it goes deeper than that. It's not that all human emotions are basically fear of not getting something else. But the question is, what motivates us to action? And certainly, the fear of not getting food, a job, a roof over our heads, those are primal fears that are certain to motivate action. In a sense, it's the low-hanging fruit. It was an easy one to argue. But it goes beyond that. We're talking about the athletes who are pursuing anything but their basic needs when they're competing at that level. They're pursuing the top of the hierarchy of needs, the self-actualization, the ultimate achievement, the national championship, the gold medal. And they're still acting out of fear. 
they're still trying desperately to avoid failure. It's not all human needs, but it is a basic emotional response, and it is the most powerful one, the one that drives all of our daily experience. When I was a child, I was bullied, so I knew what the basic lack of security was like. But as a competitor in, in debate and as a, a lawyer trying to win a case, I know that it goes a lot broader than that. It's, it's, it's something that drives every aspect of your life. Ladies and gentlemen, Jason Steck and Paul Terry. We're now gonna take a short intermission and introduce our finalists when we come back. We'll hear more from the two finalists in the Great American Think Off. Love or fear, which motivates us more? Back with more in a moment on Peace Talks Radio. You're listening to Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. And today we're presenting a special broadcast of the Great American Think-Off debate on the question, love or fear, which motivates us more, from the New York Mills Cultural Center in Minnesota. Here again, John Forty, the moderator. We're now about to start our final round. I would like to invite our four contestants, our four thinkers back to the stage at this time. Okay. I'm going to announce the winners from round one, representing the position that love is stronger than fear, is Jennifer Nelson. And for round two, representing the position that fear is better motivated than love, Jason Steck. So Jennifer has called heads, which gives her the right to decide to go first or second. Here's the coin. Mm -hmm. It's heads. It is heads. Okay. So you have one. Do you like to go first or second? I will let Jason go first. Okay. Jason, you're going to go first. Please assume the podiums. So Jason, you're going to get the first question. You have two minutes. Jason, how would you explain people who have a fear of love? Uh, it's not hard. I'm one of them. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest fears that people have is to lose something that's very precious to them. And one of the things that's most precious to people is the relationships that they're in. And when you lose a relationship, when you break up with somebody, when you get divorced, or when somebody dies, it's a life event of the type that makes you want to crawl in a hole and die. It has that paralyzing effect that Jennifer's talking about. But that fear 
also is matched by another fear. Often we have competing fears. And the paralyzing force of that fear of love is often overcome, and in my case, was overcome, by another fear. The fear of being alone. The fear of never connecting to another person that way again. And that fear drives you out to overcome the other fear and causes you to re-enter the world. We recover. We get over the paralyzing effect of the fear of love that comes from a breakup in a relationship. And, but we're driven by the fear of the alternative to overcome that. So fear still becomes the motivator to the point that it can overcome the paralyzing effect of the other fear. Okay, Jennifer, the first question for you. For some of us, fear is subtle and taken for granted. How do you face fear if it is not identifiable? I think this is a really great question to go along with motivation because it's hard to understand how would that motivate if it's something we can't recognize. And I think when people talk about fear as a motivator, um, a lot of the power that we've heard of, we heard Paul's story about being threatened um, by men with machetes, uh, the power in that fear comes from the visibility and the urgency and the intensity of that experience. And it's a lot harder to argue that you have a motivation from it when it is constant and subtle. Um, and I think that that plays well into my argument that how could this be your greatest motivator when you struggle to even recognize it? And I think that also um, plays into the idea that Fear, even when you believe it to be motivating, isn't sustainable as a long-term motivator um, because even when it's powerful, it's that immediacy. But I've talked about how in the long-term it becomes crippling. If it can't even last when it's that powerful, how could its motivational power last when it's that subtle? We are one quarter of the way done. The next question is for you, Jason. If fear is the greater motivator, then why does anyone serve in the military where there is always a potential of dying in a war? The, there's actually been quite a few studies on this question. What makes soldiers fight? And there's a powerful argument to be made for the love side of this, is that they, because the findings is that what really makes soldiers fight isn't for the flag, it's not for the ideology, it's not because they support the war, certainly, because often they don't. But it's, they fight for each other. They fight for the members of their unit. But when you really dig down and you ask, why are you fighting for the members of the unit? What are you seeking to achieve when you're fighting? When you ask soldiers this question, they provide overwhelmingly an answer that leads to fear as their recognition. What they are most afraid of is failing their comrades. They're afraid that someone will die because they didn't do their job. One of their friends will die. Their primary motivation at that moment, what drives them to go out into the battlefield, into the crossfire, to jump on the grenade, begins with love. It is the inspirational force of love. Yes, they love their comrades. But what is their immediate motivating factor is the fear that that person's going to die the fear that they may be seen as a coward, the fear that something horrible will happen because they didn't do their job. That's why people fight in war. Okay, Jennifer, your second question. If people are more motivated by love, then why are despots 
and fanatics so successful in using fear and terror to rule their empires? I think when you talk about despots and fanatics and empires and tyrants, you need to be careful that fear isn't the only thing at play there, but power and the structures that set them up and keep power in their hands and, and the, um, the structures in the governments, um, which are not unlike ours in which people don't necessarily have a voice when they lack the power. So it's not only these people's fear that keeps them in place, but the power structures of their country. But it's important to recognize that some of the most noble stories we have that we look at through history are people that did not have the power in those situations and stood up against those tyrants and those despots anyway, regardless of that fear, because they loved something more than they feared that person. I mean, how many noble stories do we have about World War II, people who did things in direct contrast to the Nazis, to Hitler, that helped people, that hid people, that sacrificed their own lives to try to make sure that that regime that was in power didn't maintain power and continue to oppress others in their nation. And there were people that did that that weren't themselves Jewish, that wouldn't have been in danger. They had no personal gain from it, but there was a motivating force that got them to do that. And if they had only been afraid of those leaders, those stories wouldn't exist in history. We are halfway done with our final round, and I'm going to make a couple promoting announcements that you will again be voting at the end of this round. We will have a short intermission. It will be shorter than the previous one. Please stick around for the announcement of the winner and the award ceremony, the presentation of uh, America's Greatest Thinker. And please join us afterwards at the Cultural Center for the reception. So, question for Jason. Why is it that the two voices in this contest say that fear is stronger are male and the two voices championing love are female? Yes, we noticed that, that uh, fear is male and, and, uh, and love is female in this debate. And I don't know why it worked out that way, but I can guess. Because men are socialized to towards conflict. We're told in our society that the way that you achieve, the way that you build is through competition and, and conflict. And so we're taught from the beginning that what is valued in being a man is to have others afraid of you. And that's what elevates all sorts of behavior from healthy competition to the, the dysfunction of a bully. Women are socialized that they're supposed to be loving and nurturing and caring. And so it's not surprising that as a general tendency, the immediate reaction might be for men to prefer fear and women to prefer love. But um, I think in this case, it's just a coincidence because some of the most ruthless competitors that I know and am in a relationship with are women. <laughs> this one's for you. <laughs> Question for you, Jennifer. Love comes and love dies. If a fear is not somehow overcome, it lasts and lasts. Therefore, fear is stronger than love. Argue against that conclusion. Well, I think uh, the strength of fear, all, of the all the competitors here have acknowledged. Um, but the question is about the motivational power of fear. And that argues that fear can last. That's precisely what I wrote about in my essay. Fear stayed. The danger was gone, but the fear was still there. And at that point, 
it, it was no longer a motivator, it was a demotivator. Uh, we've talked about fear leading to a, f a flight or fight response. We're missing a third portion of that. It's not fight or flight. It's fight, flight, or freeze. And that is the long-term consequence of fear. Yes, it would still have power, but it becomes a power that debilitates you rather than moving you towards anything, whether it's feeling or behavior or otherwise, you aren't doing anything anymore. So when it lasts, it may still have power, but it can't be argued that that power is motivational. Okay, it's time for our final two questions, and I'd like to remind the audience that you are voting not for the position, you are voting for the better debater. Who won this debate is who you should put on your cards when you hand them in. So our final question for Jason, does love eliminate fear? No, I think it often causes it. And there's a funny one, I could go in a funny direction on that, but it's my last question, I'd like to go in the serious direction on that. The things that we love are the things that we are the most afraid of losing. And so the things that we take the strongest and most passionate actions to protect. For example, parents love their children more than they love their own lives. So that causes them to do all kinds of things, from good things as well as bad things, to try and protect those children. For example, they will be obsessive about getting the child in the perfect car seat, in the, most, in the best car seat that they can find, and installing it absolutely correctly, and they will take all kinds of actions to just try and make sure that that child is safe from everything. And then sometimes that'll tip over into some negative actions about helicopter parents who will swoop in and confront their children's teachers for not giving uh, their little snowflake an A. And uh, even in college, it happened to me once. <laughs> but it's because of the power of the love that they have for their children that causes them to fear even the tiniest scrape, the tiniest indignity, the tiniest bad grade from a crappy professor at Creighton University. That's what drives their behavior, the fear that is caused by their love. The love is the inspiration, but the fear is the motivation for the actions that they take to protect their children. So Jennifer, you were rebutting Jason's answer to the question, does love eliminate fear? Maybe you see this coming. Your final question is, does fear eliminate love? I wouldn't say that fear eliminates love. I would say that fear hides love and makes it less visible. Because I think fear, and I think probably most of us have experienced this, fear causes you to withdraw into yourself. And love is about connections, and love is about community. And when you're in a fearful state, and you're focused on self-preservation, and you're withdrawing, and you're pulling into a state where you feel you need to hide from whatever it is you're fearful of, you no longer are open for the connections that love will offer. That doesn't mean those connections aren't there. That doesn't mean that the people who love you aren't still around. That doesn't mean that love doesn't exist in the world. But it's awfully hard to see love when you're just withdrawing into a world of fear. We're going to have our summation statements. Two minutes. Jason, you go first. Two, is it two minutes? It's one minute. I'm sorry, it's one minute. Never let a lawyer ramble on unnecessarily. <laughs> There's a type of music that I don't really like much at all. <laughs> Rap music, I don't care for. And there's a group that's a very 
loud and hard to listen to rap group called Linkin Park. But they have one song that isn't like that at all. And it starts with the stanza, I dreamed I was missing, you were so scared. But no one would listen because no one else cared. After my dreaming, I woke with this fear. What am I leaving when I'm done here? This is perhaps the most profound fear that I personally experience. It's the idea of, I'm gone someday. And is anybody going to care? And if they care, why? What do I want to be remembered for? I have a fear that I'm going to be remembered for bad things or that I won't be remembered at all. And that fear drives almost everything that goes on in my life. It drove me to overcome the experience of my childhood. It drove me to overcome unemployment and find a new job, and it drives me today. And I hope it can drive all of us to a better place. Jennifer. So the question before us today is which motivates us more? And we've all agreed on the power of both forces, um, but I still believe that fear is a force that is um, very powerful in the face of immediate threat, but not sustainable. Love is able to motivate us more often and in more situations. And it's a power that can remain a resource for us even when those we love aren't physically present. How many of us hang on to our memories and the knowledge? Before I got up here tonight, I, my phone blew up with messages from person after person telling me that they were rooting for me even though they're not here. That power is still a resource for me. Had fear been motivating me, I wouldn't be at this podium. I wouldn't be standing here, but I am. And I am largely because of that support and because of my love for the very things that this competition brings together. Writing, public speaking, sharing your story, and hearing the stories of others. I love these things. So it was a great idea for me to do this. It wasn't overcoming my fear. It was the enjoyment of those things. And I know some have talked about Maslow's hierarchy and safety. Love creates spaces of safety. When you're loved, you feel safe, you can explore, you can create, you can find things anew and make things new. So as you cast your ballot, I hope you agree with me and with the Beatles that when it comes to true motivation, all you need is love and that you aren't afraid to side with love. Ladies and gentlemen, Jennifer Nelson and Jason Steck. We will take a short intermission. Please return for the announcement of the winner and our awards presentation ceremony and prepare to join us later at the reception at the Cultural Center. Will Jason Steck and Jennifer Nelson please return to the stage? Will Paul Terry and Therese Helper please return to the stage? First of all, we would like to thank you, the audience. It's your energy that makes this whole process go. So thank you for being here. We hope to see you again next year. The four thinkers you see surrounding me are all winners in their own way. They each receive an equal check, and we thank them for their participation. It's been great having you here. And now, the winner of the 2014 Great American Think Off is Jennifer Nelson.
So thank you, and we will see you at the reception. It probably is significant that it comes out of here. Probably pretty remarkable. You know, the middle part of the country that people just fly over, and, and out in west-central Minnesota in a town that is only 1,200 people. I, I think it just is evidence that there's a lot of thinking going on and a lot of discussion going on in places other than New York City and Washington, D.C. and the big cities on the West Coast that, that we're thinkers, too. I love that this event is something of a throwback. It's one where we get together and talk in real life, uh, face to face, and uh, face the community with our opinions about matters of importance uh, in uh, contemporary society. The value that I see in this kind of an event is that it's just your average people talking about interesting and important subjects. And I think the Great American Think Off is, is an attempt to recapture something that's in large part been lost, and that's the idea of intellectual engagement. I think the value of a Great American Think Off is just the fact that we need more venues today where ideas are entertained from various perspectives because we don't have as many chances for that. Interaction with each other really builds community. People with hardened opinions reconsider them, People with opinions that they're unsure of deepen their reasoning for them. The only rule, really, in the Great American Think Off is that everybody's opinion, everybody's argument is welcome. I think we could all grow and come to better conclusions if we spent more time having civil conversations with those we disagree with. Love or Fear was produced by Evan Johnson and Elida Productions. Thanks to producer Evan Johnson and everyone at the New York Mills Cultural Center for allowing us to broadcast their Great American Think-Off debate of 2014. You can link to their site from ours at peacetalksradio.com to see what they are exploring at this year's event. Visit peacetalksradio.com for more shows from our archive and more content on all of the shows. You can order CDs from there, sign up for our podcast or a monthly newsletter, send us your feedback. And importantly, it's where you can also make a tax-deductible contribution or a vehicle donation to the nonprofit organization that produces this program, separate and apart from your public radio station. That's all at peacetalksradio.com. In addition to support from you, we also received support from the McCune Charitable Foundation of New Mexico and KUNM at the University of New Mexico. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter as well. Nola Days Moses is our executive director, and Ali Adelman composed and performs our theme music. I'm Paul Ingalls. Thanks for listening to and for supporting Peace Talks Radio. Mm-hmm.